Learning Scripture, Knowing Christ. Welcome to the Hashtag One Fear Podcast. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Hashtag One Fear Podcast. And this is part two of our walkthrough of the book of Judges. Hey, hey. Hey. Oh yeah, it's just, it's me and, and uh, Benj again, because we're still here. Actually, it's me, <laughs> we, and, it's me and Dom. That's what we're... All right, all right. So it's just... All right, fine. We'll sum it up and just say it's me and me. Our, our pronouns are yeah. us, are we, us. <laughs> oh, don't go there. <laughs> yeah, it always comes back to pronouns, doesn't it? Yeah. So uh, we we decided that we're going to just split judges in half uh, and do chapters one through 12 in the first part, which we did. If you have not listened to that, I encourage you to go back and listen to that because some of this may not make sense. <laughs> um. I'm glad so, you didn't say we were going to split Isaiah in half because that would be a different. I, different second uh, Isaiah, yeah, with no, that I'm whole talking, discussion. Yeah, no, isn't <laughs> he? Wasn't he sawn in two according to tradition? Oh, was it him or was it was it Jeremiah? Maybe Jeremiah. I don't remember. I forget. Yeah, whatever. One the author of, the, of yeah, Hebrews we're not, assumes you know who yeah. was sawn <laughs> Anyway, sorry. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we'll so get we're, to those dismembering. Uh, yeah, jokes we'll get at to the that. End of we'll get to the the end. Um, so we're picking it up in chapter thirteen. And uh, some stuff to recap from last week is that people are crying out. There's no really not much repentance or anything at, or at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's this cycle going up and down, more down than up. And uh, each judge, if there's more of a narrative, the more worse they are. Mm-hmm. Is that proper English? More worse? They're more worse or worse. Yeah. So... <laughs> Um, so yeah, it just this roller coaster ride into uh, rebellion against God and disobedience to Him. And uh, what should the reader do with this book? Yeah, ultimately, yeah. yeah. And last time um, we talked about the structure of the book and how you know, well, actually, we 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 first we started at the outsides. So the book ends and went towards the middle. Um, the way that s- scholars who think about the way that these books kind of developed or what, what they developed from often start with the center. They start with chapters four through 16, where you have these stories about Northern Israelite judges. They're all from tribes other than Benjamin and Judah and, and Levi. And then you have on the outside of that, the, the stories about Judah and Benjamin in chapter three, and then stories about Judah and Benjamin in set in 19 to 21 then you've got this little story of chapters 17 and 18, which we'll talk about today, that um, is hard to, hard to know what to do with. Uh, although I have heard, uh, I heard a really great sermon one time on Judges 17 and 18, the Danite migration. Have you ever heard a sermon on the Danite migration? I don't think I've ever heard any sermon from, other than like maybe in youth group about like, you know, we're talking, we're about talking judges? about Samson. Oh, yeah, Samson. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, you know, what kind of a character he well, is good. and yeah. Well, then hey. we'll get into that because yeah. it's, uh, the, obviously you have the character today. We'll talk about Samson, the character and his, his story, 13 to 16. And Samson is a Danite, but then you have this migration of the Danites in chapter 17 and 18 with a twist at the end, mm-hmm. uh, a twist at the end of the story. And then you have the shocking conclusion to judges, but we'll, we'll get there when we yeah. get there. Yep. All right. And Samson is the last judge of the book, right? 
Um, yeah, I mean, the last one we have yeah, Samuel to be but, a judge. Yeah, uh, but of this book, this is the last judge. So there's a lot of information. If just going halfway through the book, where we're at the last judge, how much of this narrative is really showing the picture of how low Israel is is declining, yeah. and uh, going into the ending as well. Uh, so without any further ado, we'll get into it. So here we go. Samson reminds me of this like big muscle, muscly guy. And for some reason, I, did you ever watch the Emperor's New Groove? Uh, no, I forget a long time ago. Yeah. I forget the guy that does, that does, uh, his voice. Um, what was his name in the, in the movie? Yzma, throw up your hands. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, well, that's exactly how my mom, yeah, yeah, just how duped he is with being smitten by this, this old crabby lady. Like that's how I picture Samson, how he gets smitten and duped by these women. He's not the sharpest knife in the drawer. And yeah. uh, definitely someone who seems to be led by his um, by his appetites. Let's yes. say, yeah. <laughs> but but he doesn't start out that way, or at least he doesn't he doesn't start out um, doesn't start out with that at least that aspiration yeah. for his for his life. Uh, we know about his his father and his mother, and um, it's actually a lot of similarities between the the birth story of Samson. And the birth story of Samuel that we get in First Samuel one, where you have a, a woman who's uh, infertile, unable to have a child, and then a um, miraculous, uh, some sort of a miraculous encounter in Judges thirteen. It's a, an angelic visit, and in First Samuel, it's Hannah pouring out herself before the Lord at the the house of the Lord at Shiloh, and um, and then a miraculous son is born, and the son is supposed to. Um, he he has some restrictions on his life, right? Uh, his on his conduct. So yeah. Samson is supposed to be a nazir and, from birth. So no cutting his hair, no um, wine or strong drink, and no touching, and no of touching corpses. of unclean things, yeah. right? No. Uh, well, yeah, unclean things, not yeah. just a corpse, yeah. right? Well, I think it's corpse uncleanness uh, specifically because there's other yeah. kinds of uncleanness that you just can't avoid. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But, um, but, and then Samuel, it's not so clear there, there's uh he's not supposed to have wine or strong drink. The Septuagint adds, um, also that he's, uh, not supposed to have a razor cut his, yeah. cut his head. So there's a, I think the, the Nazarite vow, we're, clear, but, but basically Samuel is supposed to be a little bit like Samson or vice yeah. versa. The, and the Nazarite vow that is in numbers, numbers 16, uh, is it number 16 six. or six? six. Five or yeah, six. six. I think it's six. It is six, Five yeah. is the test for unfaithfulness. And yeah. Six is the Nazir vow. Yep. I knew there was a six. I didn't know if it was six or 16. Couldn't recall. Yep. Um, so so there's some similarities there. And, um, you know, he's, I, I like that story of his uh, his dad's like, let's sacrifice to the angel. And the angel's like, no, don't sacrifice to me. <laughs> sacrifice to God. And then he, then the, man, the husband's like, we're going to die. And then the wife's like, no, we're not. He just told us we're going to have a child. So he's just not, uh, yeah, it's like, he's not, he is not. Pay maybe, attention, man. Maybe it is like father, like son. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he got those genes. Yeah. yeah, that's right. <laughs> um, but uh, so Samson grows up and it says that the spirit of the Lord, this is the end of chapter 
um, 25, the spirit of Yahweh began to stir in him in Machaneh Dan, um, which is like encampment of Dan, uh, between Zorah and Eshtaol. And those Wait, places did you are say, mentioned. What chapter? Uh, end of chapter 13. Oh, chapter okay. 13. I thought you said 25. 13, or is it verse 25? 13, 25. Yeah. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, so this would be in the southwest of Israel, near the land of uh, Phil- the Philistines and near the Judah. So Dan, Judah, and Philistia kind of all met at this... Uh, Kronk. That's his name from... <laughs> that's Yeah, I couldn't remember. It just came to me. Sorry, I had to get out. <laughs> when, when, my mom, when my mom would tell us this story, she would always tell us, read chapter 14 as if uh, Samson was... She, this is exactly how she read it. She'd be like, uh, Samson went down to Timnah, and at Timnah he saw one of the daughters of the Philistines, and he, then he came up and told his father and mother, I saw one of the daughters of the Philistines <laughs> at Timnah. Now get her for me as my wife. And then, you know... They say, can't you just find a good Israelite girl? Why do you have to go to the uncircumcised Philistines? But Samson said his father, get her for me, for she looks good to me. <laughs> anyway, so that's how I always hear Samson in my head. Is, uh, I, I don't know. Do you think he was whiny? Um, I don't know. I think he just kind of like yeah. w- would like walk in to the house. I can just imagine him. Just walking in, maybe maybe kiss his mom on the cheek, uh, not greet his dad, but just go right to the fridge, pop open a beer, sit down on the couch, and just be like, "What's for dinner?" Even if he yeah, doesn't yeah. live at home, like just kind of like not very considerate, not very thoughtful, and just whatever is he wants his food, he Demand, wants honey, yeah. he demanding wants without sex, words, you know, just yeah, 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 just my mere presence demands that yeah. you serve me, so. Yeah. So, so there's two two women actually in his life besides his mom, right? There's the wife that he has from the, the Philistine um, wife at Timnah, who's not named. Um, and at his wedding, there's some conflict, and he tells a riddle, and um, he loses a bet. And then um, later on, his wife is is killed by the Philistines because he she brings catastrophe. So they think they, she brought catastrophe on them because he sets their fields on fire. And uh, that's why chapter 16, he's, you know, back to those Philistine girls and he goes to a prostitute named Delilah. Um, so, and that's his, of course, his, his downfall, as, as many people know, you can go read the, yeah. read the story. So, but we just don't get a great impression of, yeah. of Samson and yet God is still using him, right? To, yeah. to attack and harass and judge the Philistines and to save, save Israel. Let's go back to the riddle real quick. Mm -hmm. What kind of a riddle is that? You know what I mean? Because like, it just, it seems like he really sets them up for failure, but it really, really backfires because they found out. (laughs) Yes. Out of the eater came something to eat. Out of the strong came something sweet. Very nice. So, and it's the, 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 the carcass of the lion. Yeah. So the, the, the story goes, so. he, he kills this lion that was attacking and him and rips it in half mm-hmm. basically and comes back a few days later and there's a bee's nest in it and he sticks his hand in there and takes out the honey and it was really good honey. Mm-hmm. Uh, the odds of a bee's nest forming within a carcass is very incredibly rare. Yeah. It's not very, <laughs> you know? uh, So, of course, these people would have no idea what he's talking about. Uh, 
so the 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 po- the riddle itself out of the eater okay and is something that would eat another thing like an animal or a human uh something to eat okay are we what are we eating from this from this thing you know mm-hmm. uh out of the strong something sweet all right so whatever it is it's something sweet what are the odds that they would find out what it is so it seems like he's really setting them up for failure well, so it speaks to his um, his ability to be manipulated by his wife because he's really got them, you know, over the barrel. But um, he can't. He's you know his wife whines and complains to him. Why didn't you tell me what the answer is? Yeah. <laughs> and so the same thing happens. And the the thing is, like, he doesn't learn from this episode with his wife, right? Because later on with Delilah, she's like, "Please tell me the secret yeah. of your strength," and he lies twice. And she whines each time and eventually he gives in. But it's like, you would think he would be more, yeah. you know, I fool, really, me, fool me twice, shame on me. Yeah. I really feel like out of all of the characters in the, in the Bible, I think he's the most narcissistic because yeah, it seems like he's, oh, I have to keep the upper hand, but I want to put it at risk just to prove that I have the upper hand, that I have the power. Or so that he I can has, go, or that I can go uh, take take vengeance if I yeah, lose. Right? Yep. No one's going to stop me. Yeah. So it's like he has to have the control and power, and here he is, like setting up his enemies for failure. But then he loses. So what does he do? Oh, I got to get back at them somehow so I can regain that power. Um, and then later on, it seems like when he's with Delilah, when he finally says it's because of my long hair, it's like. He's got to be lying again. That is way too simple. Yeah. But it's like he's got that. He's got that secret. He he's the only one that knows. You know. Yeah. So there's yeah. there's no way that she can actually be truthful. But then what happens? Like each time he tells her something, they still try. Like he didn't expect them. It seems like that word. The term narcissism. I like. I like that. I never thought about it in those terms. But it makes sense. Of you know the God gave. Samson this strength for a reason to deliver his people and yet the the conclusion of the story despite all of the Philistines that Samson kills he's ultimately unsuccessful in delivering the Danites and the Israelites more broadly from the threat of the Philistines which is why the Danites end up migrating in chapter 18 so if Samson had not been so narcissistic, well, it's, it's a product of his narcissism that he uses his strength just to make himself feel good and important and yeah. to get what he wants rather than thinking, can I, how do I use this gift of my strength to serve others and to accomplish the purpose that God has, has yeah. given me? Yeah. And that shows in the, by the end of the story, even though he gets this measure of vengeance, even at the end, the way he, he doesn't say... Um, he says, um, he doesn't say, oh, Lord, um, remember me, and I want to serve you one last time. He says, strengthen me just this once, oh, God, that I may be avenged on the Philistines for my two eyes. So, and it says in his death, he killed more Philistines mm. than all those he had killed in his life. And, but it's ultimately about himself. Yes. He just wants to be avenged yep. for his eyes. It's not for like, his I eyes. Wanna, not, I want to, I want with my last breath to fulfill the purpose that you yeah. sent me for. And it just, it just occurred to me now, like he wants vengeance for his eyes. What was it that he told his parents? She 
looks good looks to me. Looks good oh, to I me. Think of that. Yeah. That's nice. I mean, it's ironic. I, yeah, it's, so. yeah. <laughs> well, okay. Any other th- thoughts on Samson or should we move on? Um, a lot to cover. Yeah, there's, yeah, I think, I think that's all that I want to bring up. I mean, there's more, but there's, right. yeah. Okay, well, let me summarize the Danite migration thing, and then we can look at some of the parallels, because there's all these cool parallels between these chapters. So 17 is this guy named Micah from Ephraim, who uh, starts out, he's like, hey, mom, you know those 1,100 pieces of silver about which you uttered a curse and said, um, you know, cursed be whoever took it? Yeah, it was me. I took it. And then she's like, blessed be my son by Yahweh. So try to reverse the curse. And then she dedicates the silver to the Lord and says, let's make, an Im- let's make a couple of images. Um, and so Micah then makes this shrine and um, he has an ephod and household gods and he ordains one of his sons. Then there's this sojourning Levite from Bethlehem who comes up and we don't know his name yet, but Micah hires him to be his personal priest and he'll give him a living. So he's like, well, why don't I have a Levite to be a priest? Um, That's so, pretty ritzy, too, to have a Levite yeah, as a priest. not just one of my sons, yeah. but I've got, now I've got it all set here. I've, and he says at the end of the story, now I know that Yahweh will prosper me because I have a Levite as a priest. Um, <laughs> you know, some people have even speculated that this story would have been from a, like, originally written from a perspective that was like, hey, there's nothing wrong with worshiping Yahweh using images because it's so cleanly written in that nobody, you're just supposed to know, like we all know, oh my gosh, he's worshiping Yahweh using images. He's got a personal shrine. That's no good. But it's just like so evident that it's not good, that it's not right. There's not even any condemnation in the story itself. Yeah. But then chapter 18 is the next st- stage where the the Danites, see earlier discussion, have not been able to really get their inheritance yet right? Because verse one, for until then, no inheritance among the tribes of Israel had fallen to them. Well, that's only partly true because they had their inheritance, but they refused or they didn't conquer it from the Philistines, right? So failures of of Samson. So they scope out, they send out spies, hearkening back to numbers 14 or 13, and they send out spies to spy out the north and they pass by the shrine at, uh, that Micah has in Ephraim and they hear about the Levite um, and they inquire of the Lord through that priest. And it said, he says, the journey on which you go is under the eye of the Lord, which is, you know, ambiguous. Is it positive or is it negative? And it means the Lord, the Lord sees, right? You, Dom, you keep coming back to God's sovereignty. The Lord sees what is happening. Um, but then the long and short of it is these men of Dan, they find this place in the north where there's an unsuspecting people. And so they send... Um, men to go uh, to go conquer it. They pass by the house of Micah and they entice the priest and say, hey, come with us and you can be a priest to a whole tribe. And so they take the ephod, the carved image, the household images, and the priest and, um, and they go with them up to, to Dan and they conquer this place. Well, the, the place that comes to be called Dan. And uh, this is, in a sense, the the origin story of the shrine at Dan, which then, you know, when, when Jeroboam generations later in Kings mm-hmm. is establishing his golden calves at Dan and Bethel, 
he's not just picking Dan and Bethel at random. It's those were well established yeah. places where people were worshiping Yahweh. Now Bethel, there's lots of good stuff that happens there, um, and also, but then also idolatry that happens there. Uh, Dan seems like was tainted by idolatry even from the beginning, but this is the origin of the Danite shrine. So this is where when we get the, you know, in the biblical story, when they say from Dan to Beersheba, the extreme north to the extreme south, they mean, it means the new, the newer, more recent location for Dan, because Dan was originally in the southwest, and they, per this story, migrated to the north. Um, And so what do we learn at the end of this story? Who was this priest, this Levite? Um, Verse, chapter 18, verse 30 the people of Dan set up the carved images, image for themselves. And Jonathan, the son of Gershom, son of Moses, and his sons were priests to the tribe of the Danites. Dum, dum, dum. Dum, dum, dum. <laughs> exactly. Um, until the day of the captivity of the land. And so they set up Micah's carved image that he made as long as the house of God was at Shiloh. So, so you have, oh my gosh, it's Moses' grandson that is... Um, that is uh, leading this, um, this Dan cult, uh, this Dan uh, worship. And then, well, you were going to say something before or on our last episode, we didn't talk about it, the chronology, but we d- the fact that this is, John- this is Moses' grandson, and then in the very next chapters, you have Phineas, who's Aaron's grandson, serving as the high priest, it might indicate to us that not so much time has passed between the death of Joshua and, or, you know, the conquest and when these things happen. So, so there's not, it doesn't, it kind of gives us the impression that, I mean, there may be some additional generations in there that, you know, you can read it that way that maybe there's more generations than just a grandson. Kind of like it's backtracking. It's backtrack could be. Yeah. So either 17 to 21 are, you know, sooner than we expect or they're placed kind of earlier in the story um, it can't be too early because it's a story about how the Danites get to the north. Yeah. But it means that the descent, the spiral downward into what Israel becomes by the end of the book is a lot faster than you expect. Yeah. It's only a couple of generations. Yeah, and if you think about it, like when when they, it says it over and over again, uh, the people did what was right in their own eyes. Uh, what happened with the latest judge too? Sam, uh, Samson is... You know, <laughs> look at all the stuff he did. Yeah. Even their own judge was doing what was right in their own eyes and not being obedient to the Lord. And then we get to uh, everything with Micah and the Dan uh, migration. And it's even to the point where these grandsons of Moses and Aaron are like the, epi- the epitome of the opposite of what Yahweh has prescribed. Mm. Yeah, I don't know that Phineas is portrayed so badly. I think it's not as just, bad. Yeah, not as bad as Moses. I mean, Phineas. Remember, he does. He has a, a shining moment in Numbers twenty-five when he's much younger. I think it shows us how far things have fallen since. You know, I mean, the fact that the Israelites are as bad as they are probably speaks to his leadership or his his priestly leadership. But he's not. He doesn't do anything so bad as leading a, a shrine with images in, at Dan. But it's still a. Uh, in the midst of a really sad um, and awful story. Yeah. Um, so uh, to recap real quick, the, when we, what we said in the first episode, that the introduction and the ending of Judges, uh, there's a double 
intro and a double ending. Uh, so we, we talked about the intro. So the, the ending, it, we're in the ending now. Mm-hmm. 19 uh, 21. Yeah, 19 through 21. So it, that, that double ending is split in between... Uh, help me out here. Not, it's at se- 19? Se- 17 and 18. Are Seven, the, yeah, so 17, 18, and 19. And then 19 to 21. 19 is the, the rape at Gibeah. Yeah. 20 is the, the battle between battle series of battles between all Israel and Benjamin. And then 21 is the aftermath. How do we, how do they resurrect the tribe of Benjamin? The, yeah. the, the 600 surviving men. Yeah. Um, so the, the split in the ending is at yeah. 19, right? Right. Okay. Yeah. That's what I thought. Okay. So 17, 18, uh, the migration, Micah and the idolatry and, and the migration of the tribe of Dan and then coming to 19, that's when things get real heated. Yeah. 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 And again, it starts like, um, like chapter seven, like in 17, 17, you have a Levite, a Levite from Bethlehem in Judah sojourning in the Ephraimite hill country. 19 starts with a Levite, um, sojourning in the Ephraimite hill country, but he has a, a concubine from Bethlehem in Judah. And she, when she runs away from him, she goes back to Judah. So maybe the Levite is originally from, um, Judah. Right. The Levites didn't have their own territory. They lived spread out through yeah. specific towns. But so there's kind of ties back to chapter 17. Um, the concubine runs away from him. He goes to, to try to bring her back. He stays several days. The father of the concubine tries to make sure to reinforce their relationship, maybe, maybe trying to get him drunk so they'll sleep together. So so she gets pregnant. Maybe that will solidify the the tie. Yeah, she's got to stay know? then. So yeah. she's got to. Yeah, right. And and he's got to keep her, or he may want to keep her. Right. Yeah. So, but then on their journey back to their home in Ephraim, they stop in Gibeah of Benjamin, and they deliberately say, "No, let's not stop in the Canaanite city. Let's stop in Gibeah because that's where there are Israelites there." Yeah. And it doesn't so, go well for them. Yeah. And there's, uh, there's, here's another echo. Mm-hmm. It sounds a lot like Sodom and Gomorrah. Absolutely. But it's, 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 it's an Israelite territory. Yeah. Yeah. That's the only difference. So it's like another, hey, this is, again, this is how low things have gotten. And it's even worse than Sodom and Gomorrah because they actually do it, right? Yeah. Like what, what the angels prevent from happening in judges in Genesis 19 in judges 19 the the atrocity actually happens yeah. and the concubine is abused all night um uh what's her face phyllis tribble in her essay um in uh, text of terror on this one she points out that the the hebrew never really makes clear that the concubine when 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 the levite wakes up in the morning and comes out and finds her hands on the threshold Never makes clear that she's actually dead. The Septuagint says she's dead. Yeah. So she suggests maybe she was just really, really um, disfigured and and uh, injured, and that he actually, when he cut up her body into twelve pieces, he actually killed her. But I think that's a little, that's yeah. a little too uh, yeah, far. But it, it's pretty. It seems it's a like pretty harsh. Uh, yeah. It, to me, it seemed like he did recognize it that she was alive, but played it off as if she were dead. Hmm. Yeah, it could be. Yeah. Just so she kiss, just so he can do what he ended up doing, cutting her up. In 
at the end of that chapter 19, the fact that he sends the, he's like, hey, look at how bad everything's gotten. Um, look at how bad our society is. Look and consider. The fact that he sends this message to the whole land using the, a dismembered body, that um, we find echoes of this story in um, when Saul in 1 Samuel 11 summons all of Israel by cutting up the pieces of an ox and sending the pieces throughout the land. He summon, musters them to battle against the, um, to, to rescue the people of Jabesh Gilead. And then Saul, when he dies, um, his head is, he, he's decapitated and his head is sent through the Philistine cities. So good news of victory is sent through the Philistine cities. But how does that connect to Saul? Well, Gibeah is where Saul is from. Right? Mm. So remember we said last yeah. time, the, in the backdrop of the story is we need a, this is what happens when there's no king but we definitely don't want a king from the tribe of Benjamin and definitely not from Gibeah. Well, that's where Saul is from, right? So you can read this conclusion of judges in part as an anti-Saul polemic or an anti-Saul message and a pro-Judah, pro-David kind of message. Mm. Um, But there's also lots of little... So then how does the... You know, the the Benjaminites prove to be more... um, successful, more, more formidable than expected because they have uh, archers uh, or sl- slingers, right? Um, they're very successful with their um, <laughs> left-handed slingers, um, but ultimately they are able to be um, attacked and killed, uh, almost all of them, all but 600 by all Israel. So civil war, Israel doing to itself what it should have done to the Canaanites, and then how is the solution solved where in chapter 21, they, they have this now situation where there's only 600 Benjaminites with no wives. And that, that means one tribe's going to be lost from Israel if they don't have any wives. So what do they do to correct the situation caused by rape and murder? Well, they go murder everyone in Mar- Jabesh Gilead, yeah. <laughs> except 400 virgins. And then they go and, and, and so 400 wives for 600 dudes, that's not enough. So they go and rape 200 marriage by rape for 200 daughters of Shiloh. So even though Ben, even though Judah leads at the end and Phineas is a priest at the end of the book, it still is a sad, um, you know, they, they don't actually solve the root cause of what led to this. It's just, we're, we're correcting rape and murder with murder and rape. Yeah. So that's our show for today. No, <laughs> so I hope you're encouraged. <laughs> um, one other thing that I found interesting in this, I mean, we could, there's also cool connections with the, uh, um, well, yeah. So Samuel is from the hill country of, of Ephraim. Um, well, anyway, but uh, I, I read in one, there's one, one Jewish tradition, uh, a, a medieval Jewish interpreter that actually considered Delilah to have been Micah's mother because, oh. and you know why is because um, how many pieces of silver does she uh, have? Does she have that's stolen? It, it's 1100. Um, but in, in uh, judges 16, it's a little, it's a little unclear. She's how much, how many pieces of silver does she accept to betray uh, Samson, it's either 1100 total 
from all the lords of the Philistines or 1,100 per five of the cities. So 5,500. So that, so that connection of 1,100 pieces of silver and was enough to kind of create huh. a connection in the minds yeah, of the like interpreter a, that like, like an inheritance. Micah's yeah. mom was Delilah. Uh, huh. kind of, which I don't think we can take yeah, as, that's, as true, but yeah. it's an interesting to see how whoever's making the book is clearly putting these together, making these stories back to back so that you see the connection between the failure of Samson to to defeat the yeah. Philistines on behalf of the Danites and the Danites being forced to migrate to the north. So, um, yeah, that is interesting, but it's like tightrope walking on yarn. Yeah. <laughs> Instead yeah. I mean, of a with wire. A lot of these, the thing with Jewish interpreters and, and early Christian interpreters is they would often, they really liked to tie off loose ends. Yeah. And so they would often see connections and tie them together that in ways that, we say, oh, that's tenuous, or like you said, that's t- tightrope walking on, yeah, on yarn. On yarn, yeah. But uh, it is, it does mean that they're seeing, seeing connections that we might not always um, observe. So, um, yeah, I mean, we'll let, we've talked about the structure, but like, I don't know, what what is your what? Do you remember how old you were when you first read the story of Judges nineteen? Did someone like? <laughs> find you in youth group um, hey dude well, there's this awful, there's this crazy story in the bible yeah, let's read it. it it definitely was not flannel graft <laughs> <laughs> uh no. not that i remember um if, and if any story would it, it's it's like i remember things always given in uh in better light Mm, like or euphemistically, it, yeah. Like there's there's just something better to take from certain things. We can't always focus on all these negative bad things, but the problem is, it's still there. Yeah. <laughs> how, do, how do we yeah. come to terms with what's in in scripture? You know. And for some passages, there really is no positive. There's no silver lining. I mean, really, yeah. there isn't. Yeah. It just kind of serves to show us how bad they've gotten, and and they, I guess they have to bottom out before things can get better. But yeah. But there isn't a lesson from this. There's not like, you'd be like, well, you know, this is why you shouldn't stay out late at night or this is why, you, you know, <laughs> yeah. know, just like, I mean, it can, so when, when we try to, to shoehorn moral lessons into certain biblical passages, we end up just doing violence to the text. Yeah. I, and, I, and I think it, well, thank you. I like puns. <laughs> um, I think it also develops a legalistic belief system. Yeah. Uh, because if we're, if, if we, go the route of making a moral standard out of the book of judges or whatever book. Um, Like you said, we could do a lot of damage, not just to the text, but to the believer as well. Um, There's not much theology at all that come from narratives. Mm. Well, I I don't know if I would agree with that. I'd say you have to, the theology is done differently or we we articulate it differently from narratives than we do from Paul's writings or or poetry or, um, maybe I should say doctrine. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe like systematic theology. Yeah. Like like propositional theology. Because there's a, I mean, like you said, like trying to put the moral into the text, you're putting something into the text to begin with. Uh, but the thing is, it's like, if the text is there, yes, it's still communicating something to us. And what is that? 
And we got to, we really do need to start looking more at God's involvement in what's being presented in the text. Mm. Because, so where is God in this story? Yeah. <laughs> that's what's so easy to miss. Because with all of this stuff, why would God allow this? Why would he do this and do that? Um, I, I just got to say, first of all, being that we're all sinners and God still being able to uh, allow us to be a part of his story, being a part of, of his plan, you know, hang on, I'll get to this, to that side note. Um, that still amazes me. Mm. You know, and going back to into Romans, that while we were still sinners, you yeah. know, that, that whole concept, that whole idea that God was like, I'm not putting to waste this people, this all of humanity that I've made after my own image. You yeah. know, I'm not going to just, I'm not going to not be involved with them just because of all of this. It's because we are all like this, that yeah. we are sinners, that God is involving himself. We just have to be careful of not missing where he is and assuming where he is in error. Well, well, and then, and I think he's showing us who he is by his absence in the, I mean, he's not fully absent because they do call upon him in chapter 20, um, yeah. consult him on who, they, but in chapter 19, God is absent in the sense that he doesn't intervene. He's not called upon. And this is what happens when when he stands back and and lets us do what we want, right? When when it says in um, Romans one, right, that God gave them over um, to their to their passions and to to the consequences of their of their sin, God says, you know, if you won't say I my Thy will be done, then He'll say to us, okay, Thy will be done, and this is what the society is uh, becomes when God when God is, um, is absent. So he's not, he's never not there. He's just not, um, not active in, in, uh, in, he's not, he's conspicuous by his absence. That's my, yeah, that's my point. Yeah. Um, in the beginning of judges, uh, verse chap, sorry, chapter two, verse 14 scroll too far. In his anger against Israel, the Lord gave them into the hands of raiders who plundered them. He sold them into the hands of their enemies all around, whom they were no longer able to resist. Like, Mm -hmm. that sounds like a really harsh, harsh God. Verse 15, whenever Israel went out to fight, the hand of the Lord was against them to defeat them, just as he had sworn to them. They were in great distress. Mm -hmm. Now, we read those two verses, and we're like, oh man, God is harsh. But we, we can read those long lines there and miss out this tiny little spot that says, just as he had sworn to them. Like, God said, hey, if you do this, this is what the consequence is going to be. This is the outcome. Yeah. You know, so, it, so speaking of God, what God's, he has to do to, yeah. be who he, to be the good and just God that he is. Yeah. So, you know, going back to God's sovereignty, he's giving us the heads up. Yeah. You know, and, and we, in our, in our uh, bold rebellion against him, we're like, oh, God is a mean God? No. I think God is, is a gracious and, and merciful God by telling us, hey, this is what can happen. This is what will happen if you 
don't do this or if you do do that, you know? And, you know, with that, we just, you know, some Christians, especially will say, well, that's legalistic because it's coming down to, it's coming down to, you have to do this and have to do that. Well, I'm not saying you have to do this and do that for your salvation. I'm saying you have to do this and do that because you want to be, because you want to be obedient to God because you love him. Yeah. And, and God's ways, if God is the creator, he gives us good laws to lead us to flourishing. Yeah. And so if we choose other ways, we're going to lead to corruption and and suffering. Um, And Tribble in her book, um, um, Texts of Terror, which I mentioned before, she had, she concludes the chapter on this, um, this concubine uh, and this story with a, sort of a news item. And I think this book is written in the eighties. So it's like from the early eighties, but it's a story about just some random town in, you know, Massachusetts, a small town where like a woman was, was assaulted on a pool table like over and over again by like all these men just in a pool hall. And it was like, people who are like watching and bystanding and then didn't call the police and even participated in it. And it's just like, it was just a, a shocking example of how we are socialized, like how, how we could, any of us could be this way. Right. And so we have to be careful, you know, not, not that we're just taking lessons from this, but when the society becomes corrupted such that something like this is even on the table, is even considered Mm. and that then people start, you know, then joining in it's, it shows you just the, the depths of human depravity and what happens to a society when, when God's law is disregarded. And so, and I think we're looking at like, you know, broadening out to think about society, um, the, uh, the rise of violent, you know, violent pornography, and that is prevalent on the internet. Um, it's changing. There's all sorts of research now that is changing the way people think about relationships and sex. And um, it's, it's such a deviation from all the ways that God has designed humans to interact um, just with one another and especially sexually in the context of marriage. We, ha- we shouldn't make the mistake of thinking that this is just this is just something that happened in ancient time or with these particularly bad people or in this extreme situation because then it becomes it really does become irrelevant for our lives we we yeah. think oh this can't happen to us yeah. well it is it, it is does. it's just either we've become numb to it or uh, like uh what is it jeremiah that says evil is good and good is evil yeah. people start Woe to you yeah. all good evil and evil good um because not only that, like, I really do think people are getting a lot more creative yeah. <laughs> with, with stuff, you know, and, uh, it's just, it's just sad. It, we've just started 2024 and I read on the news this morning, uh, what's today's date? Cause it's not being released today. So, um, today's the 5th of January. Uh, so by the time this is recorded, a couple more weeks have gone by, but five days into the week already, there have been. I think the article said five mass shootings, two of which were in schools. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I don't want to go political. I hate, I can't stand politics, but I will say this. 
we need Jesus <laughs> so yeah, much, absolutely. so, so much. Like we, we really got to get more on our knees and get more involved and send the gospel. But I mean, I think what I said earlier about like, you know, this, this is where we're at and all, uh, it begs the question then, like, if we are obedient to Christ, does that mean the health and wealth gospel, you know, like mm. prosperity gospel? And I, and I got to say that well, we can't make that mistake in saying that as well. Uh, because if we look at the, in, in Hebrews where it's like, hey, all these judge, all these people, the hall of faith, even these judges that we just talked about are really not the best models <laughs> of, mm-hmm. uh, of living out your faith. Um, even these people, this is, this is the kind of stuff that happened. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in she, uh, sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. And this is the part I want, I want to put a lot of focus on. The world was not worthy of them. Hmm. You know, like, if you want prosperity, just remember this world, we're not worthy of this world. So what are we worthy of? You know, like the there's, I mean, yeah. If we're going to be a part of that kingdom too, like right. <laughs> we got to look for those riches rather than the riches of the world. Well, and this is um, consistent with um, what we see earlier in the book of Hebrews, where, you know, when we talk about judges, we've talked a lot about killing Philistines and killing Amalekites and killing Canaanites and, you know, we have to remember that all of this has to be viewed in light of um, 1 Corinthians 10 and Ephesians, uh, sorry, Hebrews 3 and 4, where the goal that the goal of God bringing the Israelites out of Egypt and telling them to conquer the Canaanites and take this land was to give them rest, right? Yeah. And, and then he says that a rest still remains for the people of God because Joshua didn't give them that rest, but it's really because the rest was eternal life. And so when we read these stories as Christian readers, we shouldn't be thinking, oh, we have to go kill all the evil people or kill all the people who are going to draw us away from the Lord. This is about, for us, about a, a spiritual struggle that we, we're struggling against the evil in our own hearts, mm. um, the evil forces around us. And so we struggle not against flesh and blood, but this, the forces of, of darkness and, and, um, and sin. And so, so what, if we were to imagine when we imagine that success in this area, we are personally, let's say we we're achieving more and more by God's grace, personal holiness, that that's not always going to result in prosperity and good life in this world. Because like you said, the world is not going to look kindly upon yeah. people who, um, who pursue holiness, people who are, yeah obedient to God. So, so that's an important caveat as well, that when we look at, we, we have to kind of look at this whole story of the conquest, Israel's failure to conquer, but then that, that's, that reaches its fulfillment when Jesus dies on the cross and uh, ultimately sets us free from the consequences and, mm. and the guilt of our sin so that we can live in the eternal rest, which is not in a particular place in the Middle East, but it's, yeah. it's in the new heavens and new earth. Hebrews is a beautiful book. We should do a walk through that one. That would be really yeah. fun. Yeah. It kind of, um, Hebrews isn't as methodical as, it kind of goes back and forth. 
uh, and cycles around some things. Yeah. It's, it's not like Romans where he kind of like builds section yeah. upon section and thought it's, upon thought. Whereas Ro- it's yeah, like a Hebrews written is, down sermon. It does. I, yeah. I've actually thought that it's a sermon. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I'm convinced by that. And he, he or she, could or be, she, could yeah. be Priscilla. Yep. Could be. My, my money's on Apollo. If we have to pick someone that we know. Why can't we just say both of them? Apollos, <laughs> Apollos and uh, Priscilla could be. They yeah. wrote together. Yeah, maybe. Don't they say we a few times? <laughs> yeah, and then... Uh, we must pay better attention. It could be referring to the, 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 the speaker and his or her audience. But. Yeah, and then I think the I is in the feminine. I think that's why a lot of people... Well, there's no gender in the first person. It? I don't remember. I don't it's know. been a long time. No, yeah, I mean, it would be nice if it were if it were clear like that. Be cool. Or there, there was something that was in feminine. I just can't recall. Well, in the early, I know that some people think it's written by Paul, but if you read read it in Greek, and it's so different from anything Paul wrote, and even uh, yeah, the, even and in the order of the books, the order of the books of the New Testament. Paul's letters yeah. are grouped by longest to shortest. So yeah. starting with Romans and ending with Philemon, that tells you that at least in the early church when they were grouping these together, people yeah. didn't think Hebrews was part of Paul's. The, I mean, there are similarities, just not big enough to say it's yeah. Paul. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, well, we're talking we're about... Ju- yeah, we're, we're judges. <laughs> <laughs> so about judges. <laughs> yeah, I'll have, to, I'll have to look where I found that. Uh, about the feminine in the first person, but that's for another time. For um, another time. Yeah. Any any takeaways? Yeah. I mean, I think it's those three. Whenever whenever I teach, well, in, in in the background of my preaching as well, but explicitly teach this is like we are always looking at the Old Testament texts on like with three three dimensions in terms of our interpretation. One is the let's call it the exemplarist or the thinking about these as moral examples. And we've done a little bit of that talking about Samson as a narcissist. Well, let's not be narcissistic. Let's keep in mind God's glory, you know, or let's see what happens in a society when people, things get out of control. Let's not make things, let's not make the mistake of thinking this couldn't happen to us. Mm. That's exemplarist interpretation. And that's important, right? But then we also have to be thinking typologically because the Old Testament contains types and shadows of not just um, future figures in the Old Testament, like like Samuel and David and and Solomon, but also, but most importantly, Christ and the church. And so when we look at uh, these savior figures, flawed as they are in the Old Testament, they are prefiguring for, for us what Jesus came and did ultimately and fully in his life yeah. and death and resurrection. So that's ty- typology. So we have example and typology. And then redemptive historically, in terms of the story of God's redemption that moves us forward to Christ, sometimes there are passages that that don't have an example to, or that not much of an example for us to follow and don't have necessarily a direct type, um, but serve to move the story forward and clear the way for the 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 story that God is the God, God's plan that he's moving yeah. forward. And so the story this conclusion of judges is really hard to find that many positive applications. Yes, you can kind of look typologically towards 
you know, um, towards uh, um, Saul or David, but that's kind of a stretch in terms of typology. But it moves the story forward so that Israel has to reach rock bottom and become like, essentially, like you said, they're like Sodom and Gomorrah. Mm-hmm. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. That clears the path for a king in Israel and a king who's going to be the king after God's own heart. So if we're looking at, whenever we're looking at Old Testament stories, we're thinking in these three, in these three ways. And, and they're not mutually exclusive. We kind of have to do all of the above. And uh, sometimes if, if we're just doing one, then we're either going to be, if we're just doing exemplarist, then we're kind of, there's no gospel in there. We're just kind of moralizing our stories. Yeah. If we're just doing typology, then we become, we kind of then start fishing for typology in places where it's not, <laughs> right? we become hypertypers. Yeah. <laughs> right? You've heard that? Yeah. yeah. And then if you, but if you just think in terms of redemptive history, it's like, you can kind of tend to be, well, then we're preaching the same way every week. Like, well, the story moves forward and the story's moving us toward Jesus and uh, God's moving us toward Jesus and people suck, but God is great. And, you know, <laughs> that's, that's the same story each week. And it's not, yeah. it doesn't, yeah. it's not as helpful as um, seeing its significance along the way for us. So, so that's how I'm always, thinking and encouraging us to think about the, and th- that's not, that's not from me, by the way, that's uh, one of my professors, uh, Vern Poitras. He actually has five because he includes like systematic theology and um, prediction and fulfillment as well. Those are important too, but fewer, fewer passages fit into those boxes. Mm. So so I just tend to focus on those three typology exam- example, typology and redemptive history. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. So my takeaway, uh, thinking about Samson and the eyes being taken out. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good one. I, I mean, I could just sum it all up by, by this. Uh, careful what you're seeing. Careful what yeah. you're looking at. Yeah. I'd be um, interesting to go through and see, like, <laughs> see, examine. Where does he just kind of see something and react? I don't know, or where it references to eyes and mm, yeah. seeing. The problem is those are such common words, but I like yeah, the parallel yeah. with he's, she look, she's good in my eyes, Yeah, right? And then also, in those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Yeah. That's the, so is it, that's the, literally yeah, what it says. And, and we should figure out whether or not it's... Uh, not literally because he's looking at her, he likes how she looks or that uh, in the sense of it's, it makes sense to me. So that's what I want mm, in my own both. eyes or a little bit of both. Yeah. Uh, especially like the, everyone did what was right in their own eyes. That's like, I, I mean, that's more, a lot more clear. Like I want it my way, so I'm going to get it my way. Yep. And uh, that screams today's modern society, <laughs> you know, because um, everything is so easily accessible and quick, um, fast food, anything and everything, not just food. Yeah. 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 And even back to the issue with pornography, right? That's a, yeah. that's a easy relationship, hassle-free, apparently hassle-free form of sexual gratification um it looks good to me and that's mm-hmm. what's the it's, um it's quick it's easy and that's what uh is um even even re- researchers who aren't 
Christian believers are now talking about um, all sorts of social and sexual dysfunctions that come in society when when sexual gratification is immediate and when it's not yeah. um, received in the context of of a loving, committed relationship. Yeah. And so once you've become yeah, that's an episode to that. That's an episode. Oh yeah. 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 Well, I'll write my image of God yeah. book, and then we can talk about that. Do it, or we should do it sooner than that. <laughs> Help me work it out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Anything else? No. Thanks for uh, mm-hmm. walking through an interesting book. It's always, it's always, um, there's uh, always interesting things to to find in Judges. Yeah. And, we'll uh, have to we'll have to get to Ruth too soon. Yeah, Ruth is because that happens during uh, the Book of Judges. Yeah, and yet Ruth is also so it's set during the time of the Judges, but of course because it has David's genealogy, it's written at least finalized in a later. Yeah. Period. So it's like, you know, reflecting on these characters, especially obviously Ruth, Boaz, Naomi are the central characters. Yeah. In a time when there's chaos and there's no king in Israel in the time of Judges. So that is how Boaz especially shines through. Yeah. Um, so, but yeah, that's what that's yeah, an episode we'll have to for another time. Yeah. Right. Well, thanks everyone for listening. Uh, if you have any comments, questions, and <clears throat> concerns, uh, you can reach out to us at contact at onefear.net. And uh, our website is onefear.net. We're also on Facebook. I think I forgot to say that last episode. <laughs> Facebook and Instagram and Ben's your info. Thinkhardthinkwell.com. Where you can get a hold of me. All right. I'm either writings and musings. And... All right. Yeah. Awesome. All right. Thank you for listening and per the usual, live such such good good lives. lives.